My name is Rick Renner, and I'm at the Bulletarian in the upper part of ancient Ephesus. You say, what is a Bulletarian? Well, it comes from the Greek word bole, which means to counsel. Bulletarian is where all the counselors met, or this was the place of the city council. And they would regularly meet here to discuss laws, how to fix the problems of society. And they thought society's problems were so severe, and they were. And their job was to try to bring a solution to those problems. Now, 2,000 years later, we're still talking about the problems of society, but we're living in the last days. And the Bible clearly promises that at the very end of the age, when we can go no further in time, the time that we're living in right now, the ills of society will be more severe than ever before. They are specifically described in 2 Timothy chapter 3, where the Holy Spirit vividly describes the characteristics of an end-time society. And in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, the Apostle Paul gives us real solid advice about how to carry out end-time ministry. He particularly speaks to ministers and people in the church that will be living at the end of the age, so he's talking about us. And he tells us what we have to do to effectively minister in the end of the age to people that are affected by an end-time society. That's the day we're living in. People are confused. People don't know what's right. They don't know what's wrong. They're even confused about what is the correct gender. Gender confusion. Oh, there's confusion on every level. It's an indication of the end of the age. And we're blessed to live in that age and to minister to people, and we need to know how to do it. So we're going to see what the Bible says about ministering to people during the end times. Stay tuned for a teaching you can trust, a message that will inspire, strengthen, and equip you with vital insights and understanding from the Word of God. Here is Rick. Today we're going to jump right back into our series on Christ's message to Ephesus. We're going to begin in Revelation chapter 2, verse 1, then quickly go to verse 2, where we see what Christ had to say to the illustrious church of Ephesus, a wonderful church that had some problems. The same problems they had are the same problems we have in the church today. So what Christ said then, he's still saying now, and we need to hear what Christ has to say to the church. But first, I want to remind you that I'm offering you my series called Christ's Message to Ephesus. It's based on these programs, but it comes with the most wonderful study guide with all the Greek words and definitions, all the points and all the principles which I share in these programs. And you can use it personally or with someone else. It's perfect for a study group. And the good thing about this is you can look at it, study it over and over and really get the word into your heart. And I want to encourage you to order this. It comes in multiple formats. And we're also offering my book called A Light in Darkness, Seven Messages to the Seven Churches. The front of the book has a quote from the director of the Pergamum Museum. The Pergamum Museum, of course, Pergamum is one of the seven churches in the book of Revelation. And the director of the local museum there wrote this, one of the most professional books ever produced on this subject. You know, personally, I like books that take me somewhere, books that transport me back in history. And that's how this book is written. It is designed to take you where you've never been, to take you into the world of the first century so you can understand the context in which the New Testament was written. 
Wow, it is just amazing. And it is filled with 785 pages of pictures and photographs and illustrations. It's full color. It is truly a treasury that you will love. The back of the book says this, the message you need to equip you for the days to come. Step into the world of the New Testament as Rick Renner transports you back in time into the ancient cities of Ephesus and Smyrna to explain the relevance of Jesus' messages to those churches then and why those messages are still relevant for the church today. And listen to these words from the chief archaeologist of Ephesus, of Ephesus, the church we're talking about. He writes, my shelves are filled with historical works on this subject, but not one of them compares to this volume. That is so humbling that he would say that. But I really believe it's true about this book. This book will be a blessing to you as it has been to many. So I want to encourage you to order it. But today we're going to pick up in Revelation chapter 2, but we're going to go back to chapter 1 because our foundational verse is in verse 10. The Apostle John is on the Isle of Patmos. He is in the cave of the Revelation. And while he is there, he has the revelation of Jesus Christ. And he tells us how it came to pass in verse 10. And in verse 10, John says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. I want to point out again that this word Lord's Day is the Greek word kuriakos. It is not the Greek word for the Sabbath or for Sunday, the first day of the week when Christians worship. This word Lord's Day, kuriakos, it's really a very bad translation, is the imperial day of the emperor. It was a cultic day on which the entire Roman Empire was worshiping the emperor Domitian. They were burning incense to him, bowing before his image. The whole world was worshiping the emperor. It really was the emperor's day, which here is translated the Lord's day, but it's the Greek word kuriakos. Jesus chose that day to reveal himself to John. When the world was worshiping a false emperor, the real emperor, the real king of kings, the real Lord of lords, stepped into the cave where John was and said, John, let me tell you who is really the king, who is really the emperor, it's me. And the real king of kings revealed himself to John in a brand new way on that very day. And John tells us how it happened in verse 10. He says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. We've seen that this phrase, I was, is a translation of the Greek word genomai, which really describes transitioning from one realm into another realm. John was in the cave. He was in a natural realm. And suddenly he says, genomai, I transitioned from one realm into another dimension. And he describes that dimension when he says, I was in the spirit. In Greek, it is a small letter S, not a capital S, which means you would translate it, I transitioned into a spiritual dimension, or suddenly, in some way that I could never replicate, I came to find myself standing in the spirit realm. And in the spirit realm, John saw into the spirit world, heard things, saw things that had never been revealed to him before. And immediately, the Bible says he heard a great voice behind him as of a great trumpet saying, I'm Alpha and Omega, this is verse 11, the first and the last, what thou seest, write in a book and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia. These were the seven leading influential churches in the Roman province of Asia. First unto Ephesus, then to Smyrna, unto Pergamum, unto Thyatira, unto Sardis, unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. And the first message was directed to Ephesus, and that's where we are in chapter 2, verse 1. So in chapter 2, verse 1, the Bible says, 
Under the angel of the church of Ephesus. Here we are, the first message. Ephesus was the biggest, the most leading church in the entire region. Now let me paint the picture for you about the city of Ephesus and the church in Ephesus. Ephesus was the most important city in the whole province of Asia. When the governor came to the region for the first time, he was demanded by law to disembark from his ship in Ephesus. Even though his office was in Pergamum, he was required to disembark in Ephesus because Ephesus was the leading, the biggest, the most influential city in the whole Roman province of Asia. It was a requirement because Ephesus was that important. And from Ephesus, there were roads that went into all of Asia. Whatever happened in Ephesus happened eventually in all of Asia. If a new teaching came into Ephesus, it passed into all of Asia. If a new governor came into Asia, he started in Ephesus because from there, his influence would be felt in all of Asia. So Ephesus was very important in the entire Roman province. This is very important for you to understand. So church being established in Ephesus was strategic. Jesus understood. If you started here, if the gospel begins here, it will travel on all the roads to the whole of Asia. You know, the Lord is very strategic about everything he does. Nothing he does is accidental or happenstance. And likewise, when the church began in Asia, it began in Ephesus very strategically. Jesus will give you a strategy for everything you do in life. If you listen, he'll tell you where to go, what to do, when to do it, when to be quiet. He has a strategy for everything. And Ephesus was a part of the strategy to reach the Roman province of Asia. And the Bible says in chapter 2 and verse 1, under the angel of the church of Ephesus, right, this was the leading congregation, and therefore it really it was the leading pastor. Right, these things saith he, that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, and who walks in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Now listen to verse 2. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles, and are not, and hast found them liars. Verse 3, and hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored, and hast not fainted. These words are very important. We're going to begin today really looking in verse 2. And in verse 2, Jesus says to the church of Ephesus and to the pastor of Ephesus, I know thy works. This word know is the Greek word oida. The root word means to see, to perceive, or to behold. This is very important, and I'm going to read to you directly from my notes. This word oida means to delightfully view. When Jesus says, I've seen your works, he means I've delightfully watched your works. It describes a scrutinizing look, a scrutinizing look, or to look with the intent to examine, to fully view, to therefore experience, or to know from personal observation. So when Jesus says to the church of Ephesus, I know your works, he's saying, first of all, I've seen it with my own eyes. What I'm about to tell you is not information I've received from another source. This didn't come to me through someone's prayer. It's not the report of an angel. Remember, Jesus is walking in the midst of the church. Now he's describing oida, what he has seen with his own eyes. What he is about to describe is a result of Jesus' own observation of the church. And what does he know? He says, I know thy works. And the Greek says it differently. The Greek says, I know the works of you. Now, in English, that sounds strange, but in Greek, it's very important. 
Jesus was saying, I know the works that are unique to you that make you different from any other church. And likewise, Jesus knows everything unique about every church, and he knows everything unique about you. He knows the works of your church. He knows the works of you. He knows about all the characteristics that are peculiar to you and to you alone. The word works is the Greek word erga. This word erga describes some kind of action, deed, or activity. It referred to a person's occupation, to his labor, or to the things produced by his effort in life. It could describe the result of hard work or hard labor, this word is so all-encompassing that it pictures actions, beliefs, and conducts, or it was the equivalent of saying, I know all about your activities, I know all about your deeds, your work. In fact, there's nothing about you that I do not know. I know everything about you. Jesus knows and sees everything. We're told in the book of Hebrews chapter 4, there is nothing that escapes his attention. And now Jesus, in Revelation 2, verse 1, is walking in the midst of the church. He lives there. He's there every day. He's moving his feet there. Now we know from verse 2, the word oida, I know. He's seen with his own eyes. He's observing the activities in the church himself. Jesus says this phrase, I know thy works, to all seven of these churches. He says it to Ephesus in Revelation 2, 2. He says it to the church of Smyrna in Revelation chapter 2, verse 9. He says it to the church of Pergamum in Revelation chapter 2, verse 13. He says it to the church of Thyatira in Revelation 2, 19. Jesus says the same words to the church of Sardis in Revelation 3, 1. He says the same words, I know thy works, to the church of Philadelphia in Revelation 3, verse 8. And to the church of Laodicea, Jesus says, I know thy works. That's in Revelation 3, verse 15. Jesus knows the works that are unique to every single church. He knows everything about every church, and he knows everything about you. There's nothing that Jesus does not see. This is why he says, I know the Greek word oida. I've seen it myself. This is a result of my own observation. What does Jesus know about the church of Ephesus? He knows they're a hardworking church. Listen to what he says. I know thy works and thy labor. The Greek actually says, I know the labor of you, the labor that is peculiar to you, that is especially characteristic of you. The word labor is the Greek word kopas, and the word kopas describes the hardest, most wearisome kind of labor. It can describe toil or fatigue. It is one who gives everything to a project or assignment, one who strives and works with every fiber of his being, it typifies work that may be wearisome or exhausting, the hardest kind of labor, and it can be applied to physical, mental, or spiritual effort. This is the word we would all want Jesus to use to describe us. Jesus says, one thing I know about you, and particularly about you, you are hardworking. There is no limitation on your desire to work and to give everything to the project that is in front of you. This was a very hard-working church. Of course, it was the church of Ephesus. It was the biggest church in the region. This was the church that was training up ministry leaders and training people for ministry and sending people out. It was a missionary base for the whole of Asia. This was a church consumed in the work of ministry, so consumed, Jesus called it labor, the Greek word kopas, which describes toil, fatigue, the hardest and most wearisome kind of work. This was a hard-working church, and Jesus says, I know the labor of you, 
This is peculiar to you. This is different about you, different from anybody else. And then Jesus goes on to say, and I know about thy patience. The Greek says the patience of you. This is unique to you. You have a kind of patience that is just characteristic of you. It makes you different from everybody else. The word patience is the Greek word hupomene. Wow, this is so important. The word hupomene means to remain in one spot. It means the church of Ephesus understood they had a unique place, a very important place, and they refused to surrender it. To keep a position to resolve to maintain territory that has been gained. In a military sense, it pictured soldiers who were ordered to maintain their positions even in the face of fierce combat. It didn't matter how much they endured at the hands of Domitian, persecution which was waged against them, they were not surrendering to the pressure. It means to defiantly stick it out regardless of the pressure mounted against it. Endurance, staying power, hang in their power. The attitude, listen to this, that holds out, holds on, outlasts, perseveres, hangs in there, never giving up, refusing to surrender to obstacles, and turning down every opportunity to quit. It pictures one who is under a heavy load but refuses to bend, break, or surrender because he is convinced that the territory, promise, or principle under assault rightly belongs to him. It pictures stamina or durability. This church understood they had a very important position in Asia. And even though they were under pressure, they refused to bend, they refused to break, they were holding on, holding out, refusing to surrender, passing every opportunity to give up. And Jesus says, wow, all of this is commendable. First of all, Jesus says, I know all about you, everything about you, all your works. I know the labor of you, your labor, which is amazing. I know about your patience. The Greek says the patience of you. You have such stamina, endurability. You refuse to surrender. You pass by every opportunity to give up. You just stick in there regardless of the pressure mounted against you. Wouldn't you want Jesus to say that about you? Of course, this is magnificent. But wait, that's not all. Jesus goes on to say in verse 2, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them that are evil. The word bear is a Greek word bestadzo. The word bestadzo means to bear responsibility. It depicts one who carries responsibility very seriously. This was a responsible church. They understood that God had entrusted to them a special responsibility because they were the big church, they were the powerful church, and therefore they had a special responsibility because they would affect the whole region and they were the example to other churches. And Jesus said, I understand, you cannot bear them which are evil. The word evil is the Greek word kakos. This word kakos describes that which is evil, vile, foul, or destructive, unacceptable thoughts or actions, actions that are harmful, hurtful, or injurious, an action done with an evil intent, actions or attitudes that result in damage or ruin one's life or the life of another. Apparently, someone was trying to do something in Ephesus that was foul. Jesus said kakos, evil. And if they were able to do what they wanted to do, it would have a ruinous influence in many people's lives. And Jesus said, wow, you as a church are so responsible. You refuse to bear responsibility for people who come with an evil intent. 
the church of Ephesus understood they were the gatekeepers to Asia. Who they allowed would travel on those roads to the whole of Asia, to all the churches. And therefore, they had to be very careful about who they endorsed and who they let through the door. And Jesus said, you're so careful with doctrinal integrity, you refuse to bear responsible responsibility for those that are evil. And then he says, and you have tried them, which say they are apostles and are not, and has found them liars. The word tried is a Greek word, perazzo. Listen to what it means. An intense examination that is done to prove the fitness of an object. It is used to describe the fiery process of testing and removing impurities from metal in the ancient world. Hmm. It was also used to describe the intense examination used to test coins determine if they were authentic or counterfeit. In other words, when someone showed up and said they were an apostle, they didn't just throw up their arms and say, hallelujah, another apostle has come. They tried them. They put them through fire. They tested them to find out if they were authentic or if they were counterfeit. Why? Because there were a lot of bogus apostles in those days. People claiming to be apostles because apostles had great authority. And apostles usually were very territorial. They controlled a lot of people in a big territory. And when someone showed up in Ephesus claiming to have a new revelation, the leadership of Ephesus said, wait, we're going to check this out. We're going to try them to see if they're real or if they are bogus. They understood that if they put their stamp of approval on someone, it would travel on those roads from Ephesus to all the churches in Asia. And therefore, they took this responsibility very seriously. And that's why Jesus said, you've tried them. You put them through an intense examination. Those who say they are apostles. The Greek actually says those who assert that they are apostles and are not. And you have found them liars. The word found is the word Eurisco, it's where we get the word Eureka. After putting them through an intense examination, investigating them, questioning them, listening to them, checking them out, Eureka, finally you discovered the truth. They were not authentic apostles and you stopped the error from passing into the church in the whole of Asia. You were responsible. You refused to bear responsibility for them that were evil and even stopped them dead in their tracks. All of this is magnificent about this church or any church. And yet Jesus had something very negative to say to them in verse 4 and verse 5. That's what we're going to see when we come back. I'll be back in just a moment. The Bible comes to life like never before with Rick Renner's book, A Light in Darkness. Step into the world of the New Testament as Rick Renner transports you to the ancient cities of the early church, revealing the relevance of Jesus' messages to the church then and why those messages still resonate for his church today. Rick reveals insight into the ancient world and the disturbing realities the early believers faced as the church began to flourish in a pagan world with unsurpassed detail fascinating insights and historical context you'll have a greater appreciation and understanding of scripture and how you should interpret it for today this beautifully bound 800 page full color biblical resource can be yours for 80 dollars features on location photography with added artwork and illustrations to enhance the in-depth scriptural teaching that makes the new testament come alive when you call or go online today you can also get christ's message to ephesus an in-depth 10-part 
teaching series that delves deep into the message Jesus gave to the Ephesian church. The church of Ephesus was a successful church on the outside, but they had drifted from their first love of Jesus. Available in digital or physical format, starting at just $20. Rick uses this teaching series to remind you to return to your first love of Jesus. A light in darkness and Christ's message to Ephesus. Call now or go to renner.org to order. Hey friends, Denise and I are coming to an area near you very soon. On Sunday, July 24th, we're coming to Word of Faith International Church, Bishop Keith Butler in Southfield, Michigan. On Thursday, July 28th, Denise is having a women's meeting in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. On Sunday, July 31st, we're coming to Covenant Church to be with Jesse and Kathy Duplantis at Destrehan, Louisiana. On Sunday, August the 7th, we're coming to Victory Church to be with Pastor Jeanette Furry in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. On Sunday, August 14th, we're going to be at Radiant Church with Pastor Lee Cummings in Richland, Michigan. On Sunday, August 21st, we're going to be at Liberty Church in Fairfield, California with Pastor Richard West. On Thursday, August 25th, we're coming to River of Life Fellowship in Seaside, Oregon to be with Pastors Tolbert and Mary Jo Lovelady. On Sunday, August 28th, we're coming to Spokane Christian Center in Spokane, Washington with Pastor Rick Sharkey. On Sunday, September 4th, we're coming to Faith Family Church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota to be with Pastors Michael and Vicki Bang. And on Sunday, September the 11th, we're coming to Madison, Alabama to Cornerstone Word of Life to be with Pastor Mark Garver. Please check our website for the most recent updates and information about these wonderful meetings. When you really consider everything Jesus had to say to the church of Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2, wow, anybody would want Jesus to say them about them and about their church. Jesus said, I know all about you. I know your works. He said, I know your labor, the labor that is specific to you. I know about your patience, how you refuse to surrender. You refuse to give up. It's very specific to you. You have a lot of endurance, a lot of stamina, a lot of durability. He said, how you cannot bear them which are evil. The Greek literally means you refuse to endorse or take responsibility for those who have evil intents. And a lot of people were showing up in Ephesus with new revelations because people understood if they made it in Ephesus, the door would be open for them to go to the whole of Asia. So they were invaded by people coming with new revelations and even people claiming to be apostles. And when someone showed up with a new revelation or claiming to be apostle, Jesus said, you try them. The Greek word perazo, which means you put them through an intense test to find out if they're authentic or counterfeit. And then Jesus says, you've tried them which assert that they are apostles and are not, and you found them to be liars. That word liars, the Greek word saudes, bogus apostles. This was a magnificent church who was very hardworking to do what Jesus had asked them to do. They understood they were the gatekeepers for the church in Asia. But Jesus had something against them, which we're going to see when we come back. But I want to remind you that I'm offering you my series called Christ's Message to Ephesus. Get it? It is filled with revelation. And we're also offering my book, A Light in Darkness, Seven Messages to the Seven Churches. Father, thank you for today. I speak a blessing to my friend. Lord, I pray their spirits would be alert to spiritual things. In Jesus' name. Thank you for being with me. Remember Ecclesiastes 8.4, where the word of a king is, there's power. 
Let God's Word release its power in your life today, and I'll see you in the next program. Renner Ministries is proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ through every available media to the uttermost parts of the earth. Discover the many ways you can help us make a difference in lives around the world with the Word of God. We invite you to partner with us in teaching, strengthening, and rescuing lives for the glory of God. Together, we can make a difference that will last throughout eternity. 